Welcome to the Huawei, a podcast about all things recruitment and a chance for you to get to know us here at Wow Recruitment a little better. Every month, I, your host Viv Edwin, will have a different guest on here and together we will jump into topics all concerning around recruitment. So why not join us on this journey and find your own recruitment happiness? Welcome to another episode of the Huawei. Today I'm really excited because I've got Sarah Cox, who is the LGBTIQ plus inclusion manager at KPMG joining us today. Sarah, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Viv. I'm really excited. Amazing. Um, Thank you so much for making the time to speak to me today. I know it's a crazy busy time for you, so I really appreciate it. No, always got time to to have a chat about these things because they're important. So no problem. So before we jump in, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, as you as you introduced, I'm currently the LGBTQ plus inclusion manager at KPMG. Um, and so I guess I get to spend my day looking at how we can make our workplace a safe and inclusive place for LGBTQ plus people and where they can thrive and be really successful in their careers. Um, and prior to that, I you know had the opportunity to, to do similar work for a not-for-profit called Pride and Diversity as well. And um, that's kind of, yeah, where I really landed into this space. Um, outside of work, I guess, I, um, you know, am, I live in Sydney. I am a gay woman. I got married this year, um, which was very exciting and, and um, lucky Again, timing that we got to do, <laughs> um, which was wonderful. But um, yeah, I, that's, I guess, a little bit about me, but I'm a bit of a musical theatre nerd love a good glass of rosé um, and, and an avid coffee drinker is probably uh, the, the main points about me. And like con- considering that we're in a lockdown, would you, how was your wedding? Was it done under lockdown circumstances or were you able to have like your full family and friends there? Yeah, we, we were, we got so incredibly lucky. So we, we postponed it from last year. Um, it was supposed to be in September, almost this time last year, but we made a decision to postpone and we chose the 22nd of May, 2021 as our new date and got incredibly lucky that our friends and family in different states were able to come, um, that masks didn't have to be worn, that we didn't have to cull our guest lists. Um, we got, yeah, in- exceptionally, exceptionally lucky with um, the timing and a perfect day for the weather and everything. So yeah, we feel really, really lucky that it was able to happen, which was cool. I'm really happy for you. And you're right, really lucky to have a wedding with no with no <laughs> lockdown protocols in place and timeless photos, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's um it's been awesome to look back on the photos and see that that moment that we all got this year, which was awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do? You mentioned you're the LGBTQ plus inclusion manager. Um, what what does that entail? Yeah. So I work within the inclusion and diversity team um, for KPMG and specifically, I guess, the portfolio that I look after is around all things LGBTQ plus inclusion. So I work really closely with our pride network on the work that they want to do as an employee led network. So making sure, you know, we've got a, a clear strategy and vision of what they want to achieve as an employee network, how do they want to help advocate and influence change and create change in our workplace through sharing stories, through advising and telling us on what we should be updating in our policies um, and helping us, I guess, 
build the solutions that will enable our workplace to be more inclusive for LGBTQ plus people. So I work really closely with them on that strategy, as well as working all across the, the firm with different divisions and different teams on educating, having conversations about, you know, what does LGBTQ plus stand for? What does affirming gender mean? How do we support somebody who might be affirming their gender in the workplace? I am, you know, a bit of a ask me anything kind of a person that people know they can come and have a conversation with around LGBTQ plus inclusion, language, you know, community experiences and know that it's a safe space for them to to explore what that means and what they can do to be better allies or even for our LGBTQ plus community, that, you know, safe person in the firm that they can come and talk to and share what's happening for them. So it's a bit of a a bit of everything role, um, but one that I really love getting to do. As an LGBTQ plus manager, um, what would you say are the things that inspire you on a daily basis? It's uh, it's so cliched, isn't it? But the people that I get to work with um, and the opportunities that I get to to hear the stories and to hear and, and meet so many people across our firm. The thing, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of hard stories um, and the hard experiences that our people have had and, and hearing from them the moments that have made them feel shame, made them feel rejected, those moments where they've been bullied, where they've been harassed. And, and you know, that's, that's really hard to hear and it's really heartbreaking to hear, you know, those experiences for, from anyone. Um, and so that kind of drives me to want to make a difference and, and take some of that and make it better for them. But then I think also what really inspires me is getting to hear the stories from our people when they feel seen and they feel safe and they find that sense of community. Or there's, you know, we might've done something where we made, you know, a, a small change in language to make sure that, you know, our policies, maybe it's the parental leave policy has really clearly in there that it's inclusive of LGBTQ plus families or that it's completely gender neutral in its language that's used. And somebody reads that and then comes and says to me, oh my gosh, that's the first time I've read a parental leave policy and felt like I'm seen. Or, you know, just those moments where they feel like, they don't have to be ashamed of who they are. They can be proud or they come out in the workplace and feel love and feel support and feel celebrated for who they are. So those moments really inspire me as well because it means we're making a difference. It means that, you know, we can't always see the, the you know, big moments of change. Some of it is very little and it's bit by bit. So getting to hear those stories of, of people being able to connect in the workplace is really powerful because I think from an LGBTQ plus perspective, sometimes there's this misconception or this, this myth that we shouldn't be talking about gay people or trans people or bisexual people in the workplace, that it's not appropriate to discuss these things, you know, like this this weird yeah. thing that should be left at, at, at home. But the reality is when I come into the workplace, I'm coming in as, as me. And part of that means that I'm, I'm gay and I'm part of the LGBTQ plus community. I can't leave that part of me at home so I think when our community are able to really be their full self in the workplace and not have to have that moment of hesitation or that fear that if they disclose something about themselves and about their life that they're going to be rejected like in fact it's going to be just part of who they are and and for that sense of 
relief and getting to hear those stories and those those people who feel uplifted by it it yep. definitely inspires me to keep doing this work well i i just have to say you know thank you for doing what you do <laughs> we it definitely is so vital and like diversity and inclusion has always been something i've been very very passionate about and you're right everyone has their own own story and and you yeah. know sometimes you know in from my own experience it's been a case of you know sometimes people try to do things with the best intentions and they haven't really thought it through and it's not it's not always ideal so you know i'm i'm really relieved to know sarah there are people out outside like you working to to help that and to help sort of communicate to everyone and like you said communication is key in this this respect so it's strange to think that you know there are places where they think that it's not it's not it's not really necessary to actually talk about it because yeah. as humans like how are we supposed to understand each other or even improve if we don't actually talk about about our differences right or celebrate our differences that doesn't come without communication right yeah absolutely and i think you know you you're so right there and we talk like we connect with people in our workplaces especially you know we spend so much time with our friend with our team they become our friends they become the people that we spend so much time with and so to feel like you have to edit or or hide a part of who you are is exhausting and and we've seen the data we've seen the statistics that show if you're you know actively hiding or self-editing a part of who you are it takes up your productivity and it takes up your energy and so we know that people who feel they can be themselves and be out in the workplace are more productive they feel like they're able to give more to their job because they're focusing on the job they're not worrying about the perception or the fear of of rejection or that their team treats them differently because of who they are so you know i think it's it is really important that we talk about it we normalize it because being LGBTQ plus is no different from being straight, from no different from, you know, the boss that talks about his wife and kids and what they did on the weekend as a family. You know, it's just a different form of family and, and relationships and connection. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about, let's rewind a little bit. And so let's stay on the diversity and inclusion topic, but let's talk about people before they actually get the jobs where they're working in. So let's talk about recruitment. So what do you think when we think of diversity and inclusion, why do you think it's vital to the recruitment process? I think it's vital because as businesses, as, as organizations, we want to get the best talent, right? We want to get the absolute best person for the job. And inclusion and diversity and making sure we have an inclusive recruitment practice and processes I think means that we're actually getting access to and we're getting the absolute best applicants applying for the job. If our inclusive, if our inclusive, if our recruitment practices aren't inclusive, then potentially we've got potential applicants or talent that's looking at our organizations, looking at those job ads, looking at the application form maybe and going, that's not actually inclusive of me and my experiences. You know, I don't feel that that organization is one that is going to be inclusive of me. So therefore I'm not going to apply. So if our recruitment ads, you know, for instance, are very white, you know, they're very heteronormative. They're very, you know, super corporate or super stereotype of what the kind of the corporate professional is going to be. 
somebody who might be culturally diverse, somebody who is LGBTQ+, somebody from, you know, a low socioeconomic background who maybe was the first person in their family to go to university and has had to, you know, work multiple jobs to get there. They might not see themselves reflected in that ad. They might not see themselves reflected in that and go, well, that place isn't going to be inclusive or I don't think I'm going to be seen there. I'm not what they're looking for so therefore I'm not going to apply so we might be missing out on the best talent and we know that diversity of experience lived experiences unique perspectives it all brings creative solutions and new ideas and diversity of thought so we want to make sure we're actually getting the best talent and that we're allowing people to be part of a process that enables them to show and shine as the best part and the best version of them without having to worry about how much do I share about who I am? Because we all talk about them wanting people to bring their best self to work. You know, we want people to bring their whole self to work. Well, then we need to make sure that that is what's happening in the recruitment process too. Yep. I could not agree with you more. Very, very, very much so. So while we're on recruitment, like this is a recruitment podcast, so I wouldn't do my job if I didn't talk about recruitment. So <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about your recruitment journey? Yeah, so I think obviously I've, I've been someone who's been through recruitment processes to get jobs, um, but it's been interesting recently um, and it's perfect timing, I think, uh, for this to happen. Um Currently, you know, we're working as an inclusion and diversity team with our recruitment team to review the processes that we have in place and the the systems to look at, are we really building an inclusive recruitment process? If we have, you know, targets around gender diversity, around cultural diversity, if we're looking to really be um, an inclusive employer and create a workforce that's reflective of the communities that we all live in, then what are we doing to ensure that our recruitment practices are inviting and are attracting all of those people and all of the talent that we want to see? So we're actually going through that at the moment, which has been really interesting, working through those different processes, everything from you know unpacking our job ads to looking at where we actually post and promote our job ads how do we build those relationships with um, universities and you know grads that are coming through all the way through to our what does our application form have and then understanding the different interventions I guess and and the people that are involved in those processes and how those individuals can actually impact the experience too because obviously there's there's human interaction and we're going to have some really amazing knowledgeable people that are already intrinsically just building these inclusive experiences for applicants versus others that need a little bit more support and help to build their knowledge and capability in creating that. So we're kind of looking at, I guess, the big, the whole big picture of attracting the talent, the application process, the interview process, all the way through to congratulations, you know, you've got the job um, and, and the different points that we need to create and, and, be explicit in our inclusion for everybody. Honestly, I feel like this episode could not have come at a better time. <laughs> I know. It was just timing. <laughs> Do you believe in Kismet? Because I might after this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Sarah, we've been talking about your recruitment journey. Now, can you tell me like some of the positive outcomes that you've noticed by adding inclusion into recruitment? Yeah, I think... 
we see people feeling valid and like removing some of the nerves and worry about the recruitment process. You know, I think any of us that go through, you know, when we're applying for a job, when we're going through the interview process, it's, it's nerve wracking. So to know that you're going into it and feeling like, you know, if you use they, them pronouns or, you know, even just she, her or he, him pronouns, like if that's actually asked of you on an application form, you know, if there's an opportunity for you to be validated in your identity and, you know, that information is wanting to be, is being asked because they're wanting to ensure that they're providing an inclusive process for you. That's, that's pretty big and that's pretty positive and people feel seen in things like that. When we talk about the firm or the organization's commitment to IND, when those sorts of things are celebrated as a benefit of coming to work for a particular organization, it helps those from marginalized groups and marginalized communities feel like this is a place for them, that they're not going to be just a, you know, diversity hire or a tokenistic kind of, you know, here's our, here's our culturally diverse people, here's our LGBTQ plus person, that actually it's part of the culture and it's part of how we want to create a safe and inclusive workplace for everybody. You know, it's not just about getting a diverse workforce. It's actually about creating an inclusive workplace for everybody to be in. And I think having an inclusive recruitment process sets that tone. And, you know, if we've got the opportunity, we know for for some trans people applying for jobs and going through that application process can be a real anxious point and and a, a pain point because they may have affirmed their gender and their qualifications, their background check, their previous employment might be in their dead name or the name that they were previously known by. And so knowing that they might have to disclose that as part of the application process can be quite daunting because they don't know how that's going to be accepted, how that's going, how they're going to be treated as part of that process. So if we can outwardly put out there to say, hey, if you are part of the LGBTQ plus community, if you are a trans and gender diverse applicant and you would like to have a conversation about the process prior to applying, then give this person a call within our organisation because they're going to be able to talk to you about this confidentially and help provide that support. Because if we can make sure that people are getting the best possible start then it means that when they go through the process, they're getting to be the best version of themselves. And they're getting to worry about making sure that they can show the skills that they bring, why they're the best person for the job. And they're not worrying about whether, you know, something like a, an intrinsic part of who they are is going to be the thing that stops them from getting the job. Because again, as an organisation, we want to get the best possible talent. And I think we need to make sure we're giving people the opportunity to shine in those processes. And I think that's what inclusion does for us in that space. Thank you. I think that's a great answer and really good advice for anyone looking to do some recruitment <laughs> as well. Okay, so with recruitment, like coming from the industry myself, there is a preconceived notion about what the recruitment process is. Now that you've kind of, you know, you're dabbling in the recruitment sphere yourself, what are some of the things you think you got wrong in terms of your notion of what recruitment was? Mm, good question. So I think I think the I think some of the things or the, the I guess the preconceived ideas that I had around it was probably the speed and the the need like 
I guess the, the how can we challenge systems that feel like they're so entrenched and right. is I think in the past you know when I've had conversations about inclusive recruitment or even being able to add add things into application forms or systems that we use it's there's always been that kind of pushback of we can't because of the system and so I think you know that that acceptance of well if we can't there's nothing we can do about that which is frustrating, you know, so it kind of was always put in the too hard basket. And so I think getting to actually explore this more with people that are really passionate about wanting to do it too. So having, you know, there's amazing people that work in recruitment and I think majority want to do the right thing and provide a really great experience to applicants and candidates. So getting to work with a team that wants to do this work and is inspired and wants to learn about what we can do some of those, I guess, barriers have just been removed. Well, actually, we can do this in the system. We can actually build this or we can find a workaround. So I think that's some of the stuff that in the past maybe we've gotten wrong that, you know, we you just can't because of the system constraints. You know, I think that's, that's something that I previously have probably just acknowledged or accepted, whereas now we're starting to see that that's not always the case. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually really glad you mentioned adding things into applications because that's something I've been thinking about for a very long time like surely it can't be that hard to you know add things into an application and like without naming naming anyone or anything like it's just so evident when you when you look at an application form you straight away it creates bias in in your own mind going why why isn't this different right yeah and I think you know there's and that's Data collection is always such a tricky thing around IND and self-identifying and being able to have systems that can capture more than just, you know, the binary genders of, of man or woman or having the opportunity to identify from a sexuality perspective, having being able to put down from a culturally diverse perspective, you know, what is your background? How do you identify? And even, you know, ensuring that we have as, as a minimum for anyone with a disability that might need a workplace adjustment or might need an adjustment to be able to be successful in the interview process. Where are we capturing that? And why aren't we capturing those things? You know, that's, that's really important that we need to make sure that, I guess that there's equity of access to things, um, you know, through the process and being able to have that on the application form is, is really important, but I think the piece that needs to go along with it. And I think that's one of the things that we've learned as we've started to, you know, we have a section in the application form that's completely voluntary for people to fill in if they want to around inclusion and diversity. So they can put down, you know, what, how they identify from a gender perspective that doesn't have to be what they were legally assigned at birth. Cause we know that that's not the same for everybody. They can put their cultural diverse, like their cultural background there. They can put down things around whether or not they're LGBTQ plus. And we have it there as a voluntary thing because we're also very conscious that we need to build trust and we need to make sure that people, we can build trust with people to know that we're not doing this because we want to, you know, it's, it's not going to be biased in the recruitment process. It's not about wanting to single people out. It's wanting to look at the collective to go, are we actually making a difference in attracting the best talent? What are we using this information for? Why are we asking these questions? Which is, I guess, our general rule of thumb when it comes to data collection is if we don't need to know it, then we shouldn't ask it. But we know when we're wanting to create an inclusive workplace, we want to understand who works here 
We also want to understand who's applying for jobs. And so then we can also start to collect that data and look at, well, at what point did their application no longer get through? So are we starting to see trends? Are we starting to see themes in the recruitment process where particular cohorts of marginalised communities are no longer getting through the application process? So could that be a bias or a barrier that is actually there? So how do we remove that? And then we start to be able to look at equity of access. So we move away from just inclusion or diversity and we're actually getting into a space where we're making sure that the starting posts are there for everybody, that there's no barriers there for people to be able to actually access and go through the process, knowing that we all have different levels of privilege and we all have different things in our life that have been an advantage or a disadvantage. I think like what I'd like to ask next is, Considering your recruitment journey, and now that I know that you've, you, you go to companies and you talk to them on days like we're at Purple Day, and you're such a huge advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, what would you say have been like your biggest takeaways over the years from your experience, something that you can impart on everyone else? Specifically around recruitment or just that kind of, I guess... LGBTQ plus inclusion. Let's start around <laughs> recruitment and then see where we'll we end up. Yeah, um, I think, look, one of the biggest things when it comes to recruitment, I think is don't not underestimating the impact that the people have in that interview process when we're getting to that point where you're sitting down and having that interview. Inclusive people in those moments are so powerful. And I think the importance of actually talking about the values of the organisation, celebrating what our stance is on inclusion and diversity, unapologetically talking about we have a pride network or we have a culturally diverse network. This is where we're at with our RAP plan. You know, these are the things that we are seeing more and more people make decisions on where they're going to work on. So, you know, things like corporate and social responsibility, things around LGBTQ plus inclusion, IND initiatives more broadly, people are looking at organisations and going, does that organisation's values reflect my values? Does, do they include the people that I include and that I love and care for in my life? I want to work for a place that is reflective of the communities that I live in, that we all are part of. And so I think the, the intervention at that interview moment of the people, whether it's the recruiter, whether it's a hiring manager, what they say and what they do in those moments can make or break how included and how safe somebody feels and how safe they think the workplace is going to be for them. And I think we're seeing a lot more people make decisions on where they work based on that. It's not necessarily, you know, I want to work at this place because it's the absolute leader in the industry. We're starting definitely to see, especially younger generations, make decisions to work somewhere because it aligns to who they are and what they stand for and so if we really want to get the best talent and the best people for our organization then we need to be thinking about how we talk about the experiences of our people and the safe and inclusive workplace that we have and not just talking about it but doing it and creating it obviously as well but that's, that's part of the reason. That's a benefit of coming to work somewhere. So we shouldn't shy away from talking about those things in the interview process because you don't, we don't necessarily know what the experiences are of the person on the other side of the table. But 
those things may actually speak to them or they may be a strong advocate and ally as well. And so those sorts of things are going to make the difference for them of being like, yes, actually, these are the exact reasons why I want to work here. Can I just say that is an excellent answer. And now that you've had such a hands-on approach and um, involvement in recruitment, what would you say is your toughest lesson that you've learned being in recruitment? I think the, the volume, you know, I think how do we create a consistent experience and how do we, how do we empower everybody to be able to take the time to create these habits? Because I think, Often when we're talking about inclusion diversity and we start talking about, you know, inclu- using inclusive language, ultimately what we're trying to do is create behavior change. You know, we're, we're changing our actions, we're changing our behaviors, we're reprogramming our brains to, to do things differently or to say things differently. Yep. And that takes a little bit of time because we're, we're forming new habits. But I think recruitment is such a fast paced environment you know we we want to fill those roles as soon as we can we want to get those people in so that we don't have too much of a time where that we don't have someone there and so being able to I think find the time or create the space to do this well and to to allow our recruitment teams to learn to build their capabilities to build their knowledge to find these solutions that we need to build possibly for systems and processes you know is is one of the biggest challenges, I think, because we're almost doing it kind of on the run and kind of test and iterate things as we go, which is great that we can be that kind of flexible, but at the same time, it's impacting a person's experience too. But we want to make sure, you know, people are our biggest tool and our biggest asset. So how do we make sure that they feel empowered, that they feel confident to have these conversations and, and be the advocates for the organization? I'm going to I'm going to go back to something you said in one of your previous answers. You mentioned recruitment trends and bias, right? Mm. What advice do you have for people who want to make their companies more inclusive and like taking those things into consideration? Yeah, I think first and foremost we need to recognize that we all have some kind of bias. Yeah, it's of just part of, you know, we 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 kind of, I think we moved away and from sort of talking about things like unconscious bias, because unconscious kind of, there's a reason, there's an implication that we can't do anything about it because it's just there. Yeah. But if we just talk about bias, we talk about like the, the bias is there and there's different types of bias that can happen. So I think we need to be able to reflect on where bias might be at play and how we can actually consciously counteract that. Is there bias? You know, has has our system been built in a particular way that benefits others, you know, or benefits a certain group of people over others? And so then how can we counteract that? If we're talking about things like, you know, oh, they weren't the right cultural fit for the team. Well, let's challenge that because do we want an entire team of everyone who is exactly the same, that thinks the same, that acts the same, that all went to the same university, that all went to this, you know, (laughs) like if we're actually wanting to get a more inclusive and a more diverse workforce, we want diverse ideas and creative solutions, then we shouldn't be hiring necessarily for cultural fit. We need to be thinking about what the right skill set is for the, the role and how do we make sure we have a culture that is inclusive of everybody. So, you know, I think being able to unpack our biases in those moments and 
where being able to challenge each other on it too, I think is a, is a really tricky thing to be able to say, Hey, what, what's driving this decision? Why have we decided to say no to this applicant and say yes to this applicant? Are we really sure that there is no bias at play here? Because we know that people will naturally have an affinity bias towards people that are like them, you know, or if we see particular things and qualities that we like on one particular type of worker, we might be looking for those exact same things in another person, but that's not always going to give us the outcomes that we want. So being able to address that and be really conscious of the way bias can sometimes impact our decisions is one of the ways that we can actually start to change those behaviours and change the patterns to be explicit in our inclusion and explicit in calling that out. Because that's, I think, being able to do that and being being vulnerable, I guess, to be able to acknowledge that we have those biases at play is really important. Because if we ignore it, then we're not going to get the change. We need to address where these things start and how these things occur. Yeah, I think like, you know, when I'm processing applications and looking at hundreds of resumes, I've always noticed the resumes with the photographs on them. I'm, I'm not a big fan of those because I feel like whether we like it or not, we look at faces and sometimes we have unconscious bias from it, right? Yeah. And so I, that, that was something that always used to stand out to me. I'd always look at photos and go, this should not be a thing, but it, but it does make you feel a certain way, right? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, there's, there's been countless studies that have been done where, you know, they'll um, get, you know, 10 re- resumes or whatever it is, and five will be from women, five will be men. Yeah. And they completely, you know, they, they, remove all of the identifying features of it and put them into the process and they find you know so many times the results have come back and the you know more women have been hired than men but when the names are attached to it or there's gender identification then it changes and it flips so you know how do we counteract those things because we how do we you know there's there's moments when we need to have that kind of I guess unapologetic yes we want to hire you know, culturally diverse people. We want to hire people to make sure that our gender, you know, we've got inclusive, um, you know, we're hitting our targets around gender inclusivity and things like that. But how do we also make sure we're hiring for the best talent as well? So I think in able to be able to do that, we have to go back and examine our bias and how our decision-making happens and the processes that we've put in place around what good looks like or what the desirable archetype or stereotype of a particular worker looks like and how do we start to consciously challenge that as well so that we do actually start to see more and more diverse talent getting through the processes of course so talking about unconscious bias again um there are obviously the people do want to come forward and talk about it but like you mentioned they may not feel comfortable to do so right yeah what would you say to recruiters such as myself and others out there who are, you know, on the front lines, you know, in the application process and selecting people, what can we do to keep ourselves like informed? Any advice you have in terms of how we stay, you know, diversity and inclusive in all of our decisions? Yeah, I think being informed is really important and being able to take the time to educate yourself or attend sessions like there's there's so many I mean Google's our our friend right there's so many things that we can that we can you know search and and find you know education on there's there's so many great resources out there across 
all of the you know diversity pillars if we talk about it from that kind of workplace perspective of, of you know diversity and inclusion pillars there's so many things that you can read about there's so many TED talks that we can watch and different people that are so generous with giving their time and sharing their lived experiences and talking about why these things matter and why creating safe and inclusive workplaces is important for them and people who have similar lived experiences to them. So I think being able to be active, be proactive and do your own research or challenge yourself to go, how much do I actually know about LGBTQ plus people and lived experiences? Maybe I'll go and do some research and find that information. I think it's really important when we're, when we talk about allyship and we talk about being an active ally in inclusion diversity, no matter which kind of, you know, marginalised community we're being an ally to, being able to recognise where you might not know everything, where you don't necessarily have all the answers or the understanding and being curious to find out and not necessarily being curious in terms of going and asking those people all the time, you know, because it can be exhausting to constantly have to talk about discrimination or, you know, quite often we find people want to talk from an LGBTQ plus perspective, people always want to know about, well, what's the moment when you came out? What was it like when you came out to your parents? Like that was one, that's one moment in someone's (laughs) entire life. You know, we come out every single day. You know, we make that decision to talk about who we are. and, And there's so many more moments that are in some cases for some people more important than that one moment that was, you know, 25 years ago or whenever it was. So you know, being conscious that we're not always asking the people with the lived experiences to educate, but actually taking our own responsibility to go and do some research. Netflix and so many of our streaming services now have representation, there's documentaries, there's so many things that we can access to learn from. And I think that's one of the most powerful things that we can do is to arm ourselves with that knowledge because the more knowledge we have around it, And I guess the more visibility we bring to it, the more you'll start to notice those things as well. Often I find when, you know, I've just started working with a new group, like a new learning team who have taken over um, managing one of the programs that we do. And so there's a little bit of education that comes with that because, you know, they're allies that don't necessarily have the knowledge or have the experience with being close to LGBTQ plus community. And so, you know, I start to give them a little bit of education and we have some chats about, you know, gender diversity, even just at that, that level of, you know, well, we need to talk about genders outside of the binary and here's some key things that we need to know. And it's funny, now they'll email me and be like, oh my gosh, I picked picked up this in our conversation the other day, or I overheard somebody say this, and I went and told them that actually we need to make sure we're being more inclusive. So once we start to know about things, we start to see it. We start to see more of it. We're more conscious of it. So if we can build our own knowledge around it and start to change our own behaviours, we start to then notice what we can help, what we can do to help others change as well. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, when, I, when you were talking about, um, about how people were talking about the instance when they came out, that's always, that's always struck me as interesting because you wouldn't go to a straight person and be like, hey, when did you decide you were straight, right? Right. <laughs> it's <laughs> funny. And yeah, yeah, it's, we've, we've talked about it a lot in our, in our network about, you know, that's, we want to move beyond just talking about that. Like, yes, it's it's important and it is you know for for some people well for a lot of us you know it's a moment whether it's a good moment or a bad moment you know I think sometimes 
sometimes people forget that for some people it could have been really traumatic and you're asking them to relive the moment where their parents kicked them out of home or the moment where maybe, you know, unfortunately they were in a violent family situation and that they were beaten or they suffered abuse. So, or they, you know, lost their friendship group. And I think some of us are are incredibly lucky. I'm incredibly lucky that my, my family were really good and supportive and I have a great network, but not everybody is that lucky. And I think, we need to be conscious of that. And, you know, if we're still asking people around that, and I, I understand that sometimes it's a connection, it's a, it's a weird connection point that people feel like they can relate to or that they can hear that and they feel emotionally connected to it. But for a lot of LGBTQ plus people, actually, we want to talk about the moments of joy, the moments about, you know, thriving and, and finding your community, finding your family and finding the people that, you know, are your closest friends and your chosen family and getting to work in workplaces where we feel validated and seen and where we can produce our best work. That's the stuff that brings us joy. And they're the things, you know, we want to be able to talk about because those moments are, yes, defining moments for us, but they're also at times quite traumatic and not necessarily things we want to have to constantly live, relive just so that somebody can understand why LGBTQ plus inclusion matters, if that makes sense. Yeah, you yeah, know? absolutely. Like that shouldn't be the thing that makes someone go, oh, yes, you're right, we should be more inclusive of, of trans people or, or gay people in the workplace because I've now heard your coming out story. I shouldn't have to <laughs> justify for that reason. Yeah, yeah, agree 100%. Look, uh, before we started recording, like we were talking about the pandemic and, and the word that we used was unprecedented, right? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know when when we met first in 2018, if if we could look back, there was no way we'd guess that we'd be going through a pandemic, or you know, considering the things that I've gone through. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm not saying that we can predict the future because obviously we can't. But what are your thoughts on what the future of inclusion will look like in workplaces? That's such a great question. I think I, in the future, I, I think my my hopes for it and I hope where we're kind of moving towards is a space and a, a, a place where we can all celebrate the unique lived experiences that everybody has. Um, you know, I think we need to be able to have open and honest and vulnerable conversations about privilege and the fact that we all have different levels of privilege, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad thing. We just we need to be able to acknowledge that so that we can all move forward together because that is the reality of the world that we live in. It's the reality of the places that we work, that there are people that have different levels of privilege and power, which means that others don't and other, we don't all have equitable access to opportunity. And so I think... In the future, for me, inclusion in our workplace looks like a really psychologically safe workplace where everybody can thrive. Everybody feels celebrated. It's not about treating everybody the same. I think we need to let the idea of that go because that's not what inclusion and diversity is about. It's not about we treat everybody the same regardless of lived experience it's actually about celebrating the differences that we have and being able to acknowledge that for different 
marginalised communities, we need different solutions or we need different interventions to ensure that we all get equal access and that we all can actually be successful in our careers and in our lives. So I think that's kind of my vision for, for the yeah. future, that it's we even, I think, move beyond the, the concepts of inclusion yeah. and actually starting to really, we're in that space of belonging where everybody feels like they belong, where everybody feels like we have equity in terms of opportunity and we can actually, we don't have to worry about if I say this, am I going to get rejected or is this going to make someone think differently of me? That yeah. it's actually something that we're all curious about each other's experiences and that we have a level of understanding of what that means and how we can be better allies to each other as well. Well, fingers crossed. I really hope that that's, that's <laughs> what hope. the future looks like. <laughs> We've got a lot of work to do. We've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, but, you know, bright and hopeful future that's what we all aim for towards the end of the day right it's a light at the end of the tunnel <laughs> definitely look sarah thank you so much for making the time to speak with me today and thank you so much for being on the wow way podcast and i do hope that you'll come back again because you've been an absolutely amazing guest oh thanks viv anytime thank you so much for asking me it's been a pleasure thanks for joining us on this episode of the wow way Please visit our website, wowrecruitment.com.au to subscribe to us and to make sure you never miss an episode. If you really enjoyed the episode, please give us a rating on Spotify or on iTunes. Alternatively, please tell a friend about us. That would be doing us a huge favor too. I look forward to joining you here again next month. From all of us here at Wow Recruitment, this is Viv signing off.